You can be seated. Take your Bibles. I want you to take them to Luke's Gospel. Two passages of Scripture this morning as we reflect on the Lord's table on this fifth Sunday. Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter 22. And then also Matthew chapter number 26. Luke chapter 22. Verse number 19. Luke 22 and verse 19. And then also Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 26. Alright? Luke 22 and 19. I'll draw my title from Luke 22, 19 because this, this particular phrase is not found in the other account of the Lord's Supper table, but I believe Luke twenty-two nineteen gives us the, the importance, the thrust of what we are doing this morning. Luke, 9, uh, Luke uh, chapter 22, and verse number 19, speaking of the Lord Jesus, it said, He took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, listen to this, this is my body which is given for you, notice this phrase, this do in remembrance of me. There is an element in the Lord's table in which we are remembering Him. He he enforced this to His disciples as they sat at this table when they they came together to, to observe this commanded meal. It was an ordinance. He commanded them to do this. And He says, This do in remembrance of me. Why are we doing this this morning? It's not because of a religious ritual. It's not that my eternal soul, uh, my eternal destiny uh, is hinged upon the ingestation of a cracker and, and a, a thimble full of wine. No, no, not at all. In this, the importance of this is a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Now, for the main bulk of what we'll speak on, Matthew 26, and look at verse 26. Here Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room and in verse 26, in chapter 26 of Matthew, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is My blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went into the Mount of Olives. This do in remembrance of me. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this Wonderful and moving scene with your disciples in the upper room. Although we are removed from it by close to 2,000 years. Father, I pray that you would draw it scenes close to our hearts. For we are no less your disciples. We may not be apostles. We may not be those first eyewitnesses. But we are in the long line of those that have believed the apostles' testimony. And are indeed truly disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus. So Father, I pray you'd bring these intimate scenes close in our minds and hearts this morning. God, may we sense sense Jesus handing us this bread. 
May we sense Jesus handing us this cup. And may, may uh, His, His uh, words of direction uh, caution and direct our hearts to the main emphasis of what we are doing. Not a religious exercise. Not a, uh, not a, just a, 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 a mere religious uh, procession of sorts or, uh, or, or nor does our, uh, our eternal life hinge upon these elements. But God, these are to rem- cause our hearts to remember, to incite remembrance, to bring us close. These are the only tangible elements, Father, uh, that you have commanded us to lay hold of. You are the unseen God. You are the, uh, the one who has manifested himself in the person of Jesus, who has died, buried, and raised again, and ascended to the Father. So, Father, these are the, these are the tokens, the elements, the symbols in which we hold in our hands that cast our minds to what your Son has done for us. So, God, help us to do that this morning. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. A beautiful gypsy girl, unfamiliar with the Christian religion many years ago, was employed by a German artist to sit in for one of his painting studies. So as, he, as she sat before him and he had oil uh, paints nearby and a canvas and he looked upon her and he was doing a study, a drawing, a painting of her, her eyes caught a glimpse of a painting of this artist over on the wall. It was a painting of the crucifixion of Jesus. And as she watched it, as she looked at that painting, she she asked rather bluntly and suddenly, that wicked man pointing at the picture of this Jesus being crucified on the cross, that that wicked man, was uh, who was that wicked man? And what crime... Was he, or did he commit to be punished so harshly? The artist, uh, frustrated that he was distracted from what his main purpose was, basically, very glibly and bluntly and very carelessly, began to explain and answer her question. That is the, uh, that is the Christian Messiah, Jesus, and that he was, he was nailed uh, to the cross and and thereby, according to Christian teaching, he died for the sins of all men. And rather frustratingly began to go back at his work and his focus of concentration. There was no, there was no sympathy for the Christian religion or the Christian themes. There was no warmth in his gospel and what he shared with this young girl. His cold manner and his frustrating tone roused the girl to wonder at his remarks about the painting. And she commented, Why, I should think you would love him if he died for you. You know, oftentimes we can maybe not be frustrated by sharing the gospel or telling the old, old story, but sometimes we can grow callous to it. We hear it week in and week out. In this place, we read of it in our devotionals and in our, our Bibles on a daily basis. We, we think upon it and sometimes we can become callous to that. We can say it matter-of-factly without, without any kind of emphasis of emotion. Emotion 
is not the only thing that is the driving force of our religion, but at the same time, emotion is part of what God has done in our hearts. He has given, a, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a husband that did not have some kind of emotion uh, for his wife at any, any, given, any, given, any given moment. Here, here, we are to have that same connection, that same love for our Lord Jesus and not be disconnected from but how, how quickly it does happen. How, how we can easily uh, come into a situation where, where we are unmoved by that. That's what is important about the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, we are to stop and renew our love and devotion for the one who died for us, who paid sin's penalty. We are to reflect on the one who hung on the cross for our sin, whose body was broken for our, on our behalf, whose blood was shed for our iniquities. He, we are to do this in obedience to His command. We read it initially in Luke twenty-two nineteen, where He said, This do. Repeat this meal. Set aside opportunity to do these things because in doing so, you are doing them in remembrance, in commemoration of me, Jesus is saying. So when we come to the table, according to Matthew 26 and what He has laid out for us there, I believe there are four things that we are to focus on as we come to the Lord's table. We're not to come down in a line just to take a piece of bread and to chew it up and swallow it and drink a little, like I said, a thimble full of, of, of juice or wine and swallow that without any kind of thinking. These are tokens to remind us. And so when we come to this table, there are four, maybe five things. I'd like to add another one that's not even in my notes, but five things that we are to remember as we come to this table. The first one of this is we need to remember and to think about, reflect upon the contents of the Lord's Supper. The contents, although this ordinance of the Lord to observe the Lord's Supper came on the night that they celebrated the Passover, in and of itself, what we are doing here today is not a Passover. There are many that maybe make an equation to to those things. But this is not a Passover. This is something completely different. There are elements of a Passover, which I, I believe there are certain elements that do testify to gospel themes. If you ever get the chance to uh, listen to someone teach them on the Passover and make those, make those messianic comparisons between the Passover and Jesus Christ, fascinating study. And although there are maybe some themes uh, between the, the, the Jewish Passover and the gospel of Jesus Christ, are, that is not what we are experiencing <clears throat> this morning. It is not a Passover. Matter of fact, the Passover has many and varying uh, elements and customs. If you'll, if you'll see a, 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 a Passover observance for today, you will find certain things that have been added to that that come from the legacy of Jewish history. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them, uh, I, I, years ago, watched someone go through all the elements of the Passover and talk about them, and he came to one which was an egg on the table. And you're all you're waiting for some kind of spiritual, you know, ancient Jewish thing coming from that. And he said, "No, this really came from the Chaldean exile, and it made its way into 
into the Passover. So, no, no, the Passover is not the Lord's Supper. They are two, two different things. The Passover, like I said, has many elements of herbs and oils and, and meats and breads. The Passover, the Passover is that, but the Lord's Supper has two elements. Two elements. And Jesus gives uh, strict uh, teaching as to why there are two. He says, uh, first of all, he talks about this bread. He took the bread in verse 26, blessed and break it, gave it to his disciples to take it. This is my body. The bread uh, that would be on the Passover table that Jesus would have picked up was an unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. We had this morning when we came in there, we were trying to find all of the little elements for the Lord's Supper. We found the little Welch's grape juice back there. Hopefully it hadn't fermented. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's been in there a little while. It's been in the refrigerator. But we couldn't find the, the crackers. Uh, we couldn't find, I, I don't know what I did with them. I, I got some from Lookout Valley, you know, a while back and ziplocked them up and I, I don't know what happened to them. And so Carrie reached up on the shelf and she found some, what were they called? Oh, little oyster crackers. They're a little, little oyster, you know what I'm talking about. They put in your chili, little oyster crackers. And uh, I was horrified because I knew one of my points was about, was about it being unleavened bread. Oyster crackers have leaven in them. You know, that's why they're so puffy. You know, they got a little, little bit of leaven in them and they're all puffy. You know as well as I do, when we come to the Lord's table, it's a flat piece of bread. It doesn't, it doesn't puff up. It's an unleavened bread. Leaven is what gives bread that puffiness, that, that willingness to, to spread out and to grow as it's baked. Not unleavened bread. Jesus often in his teaching compared, uh, compared leaven to sin, how that sin permeates and puffs up and, and does all manner of things. Uh, that's not unleavened bread. Unleavened is without, without leaven. And it's a picture of the body of the Lord Jesus, which was a sinless body. Leaven is that which permeates and puffs up. There was nothing like that to be found in our Lord Jesus. He was the, he was the meek and lowly Savior. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I, I am meek and lowly at heart. Meek means strength under power. The opposite of pride and the arrogance. The Lord Jesus was one without pride, without leaven. He was spotless, without sin. Jesus calls himself the bread from above. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread from heaven. At this supper, he said that this bread uh, that is his body that is given for us. Now, at this time, the disciples, the disciples knew nothing of what were, what the hours later have in store for the Lord Jesus, how he would be crucified, how his body would be beaten and and thrashed and beaten beyond recognition. They had no idea of this was his coming, but Jesus did. His body is crushed for us. His body is broken. He break that bread. This is my body broken for you. What a picture of the cross. Jesus' body battered and nailed and thorn pierced and, and speared all for us. His perfect body on the tree. His body was given for us on the cross. Bruised, broken, Beyond recognition, Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he hath put him 
to grief. We also have the wine or the juice here. Also, all the wine is seen in the Bible oftentimes as joyous and refreshing. In, in this upper room, it is not that. Jesus says in verse 27, He took the cup and He gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood. Here Jesus is making a, an allergy of the blood of the grape to the blood of His own body, which would be shed. When we look into this cup, we remember the one who shed His blood for us, who gave His life a ransom for many. Ephesians 1.7 tells us in whom, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. So within these elements, the bread and the cup, the wine, we have symbolized our price of redemption. Not the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer. Not that of a spotless lamb that was plucked from the fields, but no, a spotless human lamb. One that was innocent, that couldn't take our place, shed His blood, give His flesh on the cross for our sin. These elements symbolize the price of redemption. The crucified body and the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And we remember Jesus through these contents of this table. These are not good luck charms to help you get through the week. I remember reading about years ago the Passion of the Christ movie and how that uh, the Passion of the Christ movie, that main actor that played Jesus, Caviezel, I think is his name, he, he, would, he talked about how that before, before every episode that he, or every shot where he portrayed the Lord Jesus, he would, he would take the Lord's Supper, he would, he would take the bread and the cup before he went in and shot the scene. As if it's some kind of good luck charm to, to help him do well. That's not what this table's about. It's not, what the, it's not to make yourself look better before your pastor or, or before your uh, friends or your, before your church family. It, it has no other reason but to cause our minds to think upon the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all it does. It puts our mind in focus of what He's done for us. When we come to this table, we are to think about its contents. Notice also we are to think about the covenant of the Lord Jesus. Did you catch this in Jesus' statement in verse 28? For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The New Testament. If any, as soon as I say New Testament, what's the first thing that comes to mind? A little Gideon New Testament, right? And that's the first thing that comes to my mind. When I hear the words New Testament, I think of a little Gideon Bible that I can put in my pocket. But a New Testament is not necessarily a little bitty Bible or even the latter half of your Bible known as the New Testament. We have the Old Testament, have the New Testament. It's not necessarily a, essentially, it's not essentially a part of the Bible. A New Testament a word testament is the same word that would indicate a covenant in the Old Testament. We could rightly say that there is an Old Covenant 
And there is a new covenant. The new covenant Jesus is referring to here in this Lord's Supper. It is a new covenant. A new promise. This supper reminds us of the great transaction that took place on the cross. Here, it was here that there, there was Jesus, the pure and spotless Lamb of God, on uh, the one in whom there was no sin, took on Himself every sin, every heinous crime ever committed, every adulterous action and glance, every, every abomination is taken on Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the pure and spotless, became sin and incurred the righteous wrath of God upon sin on the cross. Jesus experienced the alienation of sin. You know, the Lord Jesus never knew one moment of disharmony with the Father. Most of our lives are lived like a you know those new fluorescent bulbs that they got? You know, the, the, the ones that are... It's not, the, it's not the one with the element in it. It's one of those new ones with the fluorescent. When they start to go bad, they go... Beep, beep, beep. You know, they, they, they're lighting on. Matter of fact, right down, the, right down below us, the Jehovah's Witness Church, it's creepy. They have a light out in front of Jehovah's Witness Church, and it's a fluorescent light like, like bulb, and it's going out. And so it sits there and flickers. And when you pass it, it's kind of creepy looking. It flickers on and off as you pass it, you know, in the night, flickering on and off. And uh, I think of it as God's warning light. Stay away, stay away. But anyway, I digress. It flickers on and off. You know, it's a lot like our relationship with God. Most of us at our best are on again, off again, up, down, left, right. You know, we're straying, we're, we're straying, we're coming back, we're on, off. Our relationship with God is good one week, then out for another week, then, then back we try to make things right another week. We're up, we're down, we're sideways, we're in and out. Jesus never knew one moment of disharmony with the Father. And yet on that cross, Jesus Christ was forsaken of the Father. My God, my God, why? Every other time He calls Him Father. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? God had turned His back on His Son because of the sin. He, he endured the suffering of sin. The agony of sin. The shame and guilt of sin. Hanging naked before the gawking eyes of the world. Spat upon, humiliated, ridiculed the shame of sin. All of that fell on Jesus on the cross. All this so that a covenant could be cut. A covenant which announced the remission of sins. That's what he says here. Um, my New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Verse 28. A new covenant for the remission of sin. Do you remember the, the old Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament? Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Genesis chapter number 16, God comes to make a covenant with Abraham. Abraham dissects the animals, one, one half of the animal on this side, one half on the other, a bloody path down between all these animal carcasses, and there Abraham waits for God to cut a covenant with him. You know what, you know what a cutting of a covenant means? 
uh, two people in the Old Testament, they cut a covenant together, they would lock arms together and they would walk this bloody path together promising that if one break the covenant with the other, that they, they would become like the carcasses on the ground and they would walk through that as a promise not to forsake or not to break this agreement between the two lest their fate be like these animals. When Abraham, when Abraham was there waiting on the Heavenly Father to come and walk through that, that uh, covenant with him, God caused a deep sleep to fall over Abraham. And Abraham said, God basically said, you can't keep this covenant. I'm going to walk through it myself. And God himself as a burning lamp walks through that covenant saying, Abraham, you can't keep it, but I'll keep it for both of us. That's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He walked the bloody path of the cross and made the covenant. You can't keep the covenant. You fail Him every day. But Jesus cut the New Testament. He cut the promise so that forgiveness of sin could be given to all that believe upon Him. When we partake of this table, we're not renewing a promise. We're remembering a promise. A promise made to us. A one-sided promise. The command to keep this table does not solidify our acceptance with God. It signifies our belief in Christ that makes us acceptable to God. You're not any more spiritual by taking this by, by, by eating this bread, drinking this cup, you're not powering up like Mario. You're not, you're, not, you're not moving up. You're not getting higher. You are remembering what God has already done. What already has been finished. What already has been made. When you and I approach this table, we do so in faith, trusting in the covenant of Calvary where Jesus bled and died for my sin. We come to this table reaffirming the promise that I believe that you have died for my sin, Jesus. Thirdly, we also need to remember the cautions of this table. The cautions of this table. Jesus Himself did not give necessarily these cautions in with His disciples in the upper room. But I believe that speaking from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul gave us those cautions when we come to the Lord's table. You see, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul visits the subject of the Lord's table, which was being profaned among the believers there. There was a misunderstanding of what the solemnity of what the beauty of this table was, and it was being perverted in that church. If you recall the context of Paul's words, they were having basically love feasts in which people would bring food for themselves and their friends, and that if you didn't have the food, they weren't going to share it. They were getting drunk, uh, intoxicated, drunk at the Lord's Supper, which is completely a completely and undeniably sinful in the script. They were becoming drunk at the Lord's table. They were exiling those that didn't have food. They had their own little cliques in there. And Paul said, I had to straighten all this out. That is not what this table is about. Paul, what is the table about? 
They were thoughtlessly partaking of the Lord's Supper with no caution, no considerations, and they were paying a heavy price. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 27-31. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are sick, weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Brother Ronnie, is anybody worthy to come to the table? Absolutely not. None of us. None of us deserve the body and the blood of Jesus. None of us deserve to walk into the covenant. That's why it's called grace. Saved by grace. That's why it's called the grace of God. Nobody's worthy. But Paul gives the context of what he's talking about when he's talking about worthiness. And I believe it's clear that he's talking about personal examination. Let a man examine himself. Look, try yourself. Uh, and, then, and then he ends up, if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. These people that were eating unworthily were going in without any consideration. They were getting drunk. They were exiling others. They wasn't showing the love of Christ to those in the whole body of Christ. They were clicking themselves together. They were making no consideration of their lives before God, of their sin, of their closeness, their relationship with God. They were giving no thought to it. And Paul said, when you come to this table, you examine yourselves. If you won't, God will judge you. That's what he was doing in Corinth. Some of them were dying. Some of them were getting sick because they were not doing a heart inspection when they came to that table. I'm not saying that any of us are worthy, but what I am saying is when we come to this table, we ought to do so with gravity. We ought to do so with inspection of heart. What am I talking about? Unconfessed sin. Manners of life which are contrary to God's Word. We're to take heart inspection every time we come to the Lord's table. We should do it every day. But most of all, when we come to the Lord's table, we should approach cautiously, not flippantly or carelessly. We in this hour should examine ourselves. We should come with a confessing and repenting heart. It is at this table we are to gaze upon the cross and see the perfect sinless Son of God dying for our sin, taking our place on the cross, and then we should search out our own hearts. When we come to the cross of Christ and see what He's done for us, how could I possibly love and make out with sin in the corners of my life when it cost my Savior that? How can I dabble and play with sin and iniquity and, and rebellion against the, the, the blatant command of God and gaze upon the cross and worship Him without some sort of heart reckoning. That's what this table does. We should look upon our own hearts and lives. 
Is there, and this is the question that we come to in this table, is there blatant rebelliousness in your heart? Are there unconfessed sins? Are there sins that are unrepented? Some idol that stays hidden? Are there sinful closets in the heart that need to be brought out to the light of God's grace? Get it out now! These people in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 were dying. Were, were being sick, bedridden because they went to this table and didn't deal with their own heart matters. Here we see there are cautions at this table. I want to bring out in a spur of the moment here the consummation of this table. Look at verse number Matthew 26, verse number 29. I say to you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is the consummation of this. When we take this, when we come to this table, we are not only to remember the great price that Jesus has paid for us and what is symbolized in His blood and His body on the cross. Not, not only to examine ourselves, but when we raise this cup and when we place these, these, this morsel on our tongue, we are to remember there's coming a day. We preached about a couple weeks ago about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's coming a day in which we will drink it with Him. It points our eyes to a future day. A day when we will sit with Him at His table and we will drink of this cup and eat of this bread in the kingdom of God. This this. These elements here are filled with hope. Hope of the coming resurrection. Hope of His reclaiming of His creation. Hope of the bride and the bridegroom to be united together forever. The consummation of this table. And then also the contemplation of the Lord's Supper. You know, as I, as I thought about the Lord's table this week, I... I contemplated and pictured in my mind what that upper room is like, was like. It no doubt would have been very different from what we're doing this morning. There would have probably been a raised, very small platform off the ground, maybe a foot or two off the ground. All the participants, the disciples, would be seated on the ground with uh, no doubt blankets and pillows of relaxation. That's the way Middle Eastern dinners are done, not in a chair. Uh, they, they lounged around on the floor and ate, you know, and that, that would have been that upper room. Table set with them lying around and, you know, around the table. And as I thought about that and what we'll be doing today, it would be very different than what we're doing, but I almost thought about bringing a table in here. And, and setting in the aisle, you know, and bring these chairs around it and, and all of us gather around that table and put this in the middle and maybe distribute us all at a table, more like a family table. And maybe there at that table we could, we could reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done for us. How He found us. I'm sure that this was not the first time that the apostles partook of this supper. No doubt they did it again and again. And I imagine that when they, when they did this 
love feast, as they would call it in the Scriptures, but our uh, Lord's Supper, communion, dinner, whatever, I'm sure they would reflect upon when they found the Lord Jesus. How they, that's one of the things I love about the, the chosen television uh, series about Jesus. It kind of tells stories about how people encountered Christ, how, how, they, how they come to know Him, and how, how He met them, and different characters. And You know, I imagine if I were to bring that table in here and put all our chairs around it and Maybe you can imagine yourself talking about when you met Jesus. What He's meant to you. As you look at that bread and, and that cup and think about what that body and blood means to you, these elements, I'm sure you could share stories about how Jesus has helped you. He's strengthened you. He's given you hope. He's given you grace and He's changed you. I mean, just changed you on the inside. He, he made you different. You know, I didn't bring out a table and we're not going to do that. Might be something we'll do in the future, but here in just a moment is, uh, is we'll be listening to a song and I'll, I'll take these elements and I'll come by and, and, and give you opportunity to partake. Um, maybe you could think about those things. What Jesus has done for you. How He has changed you. How He has made you, created you. How He has entered your life and given you hope. Times when He has come through and enabled and strengthened you. Times He has forgiven you and you have known reconciliation with Him. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about failing God. Your, your Peter moments where you said, I don't know Him, I don't know Him. And then He meets you on the shore with fish and bread and you make things right with Jesus think on those things this morning let us remember Jesus, his cross his grave, his resurrection his promised return let our hearts once again swell with love for the one this table represents let's pray, dear heavenly father Lord I love you, I thank you for the Lord Jesus thank you for this table now, Father, I pray that you, would, that you would guide our thoughts and hearts as we go through these moments of, uh, of reflection upon you. God, we, may we remember what you've done for us. May we first of all confess things that are not right, attitudes and heart dispositions and actions that we have done. For we have grieved your spirit. We have sinned against you. God, help us to make those right this, this morning. Father, I pray you would recall the scenes of Calvary. God, may our hearts be warmed by what Jesus has done for us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Before Brother Roger plays the song that I want him to play for us, and we go into a time of reflection, there's a few things of instruction I want to go over with you. Number one, this morning there is a cup over a cup. So when you go to pull the cup out, you will pull out a cup of the juice and underneath that will be a cup with a piece of bread in that. So we'll just be passing through one time. You just grab both cups and hold them aside. Pull one out of the other, we'll do the bread and then we'll do the, the cup as well. This is an open communion, meaning that if, if you are saved by God's grace, whether a member of this church or not, if you are saved by God's grace, you know Him as Lord and Savior and have been baptized, 
you may partake in this Lord's Supper, okay? Now, there is, there is no, there is no, uh, no uh, suspicion upon those that would say, no, there's some things that I'm dealing with right now, and I don't think this is time for me to do this. I, I completely understand that. I would urge you to make those things right with the Lord Jesus. But I do understand because you are, you are taking serious the cautions of the Lord's Supper. So I understand that. But I would compel you and urge you to make things right with the Lord Jesus, okay? Uh, but those are some considerations when we do this. So, Brother Roger, as I give out these elements, would you play that one song? I think no, track number four. Listen to this song, and as you do so, reflect upon its meaning, what we've talked about here. And let's prepare our hearts to, uh, to observe this ordinance of the Lord Jesus, Brother Roger.